Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Societal unrest, pandemic, racism, gender inequality, immigration issues, economic turmoil, unfair taxes, media bias, political divisiveness, war. What else am I missing? What other characteristics would be included to describe a nation in crisis? A nation in crisis. The issues they were dealing with may not have been exactly the same as ours, but Israel was a nation in crisis. In chapter 8 of the story, chapter 8 of the story, as we are reading through it, covers the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And in the book of Judges, here's what's just happened. If you've been with us, you, you know this story, but let me just briefly recount it. At the end of chapter 7, at the end of the book of Joshua, God's people, the Israelites, have entered the promised land after their conquest, defeating many of the enemies that stood in their way. And at the end of the book of Joshua, at the end of chapter 7, Joshua, who had been leading the people of God, gave the people of God a challenge. He commanded them, essentially, to obey God's word, and if they obeyed God's word, things would go well for them in the land. But if they disobeyed God's word, things would not go well for them. So all of the people said, we will obey God's word. And they did for a whole generation. And after that faithful generation died, the next generation, not so much. Actually, it says that this next generation did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. They turned to what they were going after. They, they pursued the gods of their neighbors, these foreign gods that they were supposed to cleanse from the land they're now turning their eyes to in worship. They're turning their eyes away from God and turning to these false gods. And when the collective people turn away from God and turn to their own selfish pursuits, well, that leads to a nation in crisis. And in the book of Judges, there is a cycle that goes on repeat. It's four phases over and over and over again. With each judge, it's the same story just played out with different characters. But I want to read for you one of these characters. It's the shortest and most succinct in the book of Judges. It's the story of Othniel right away in the book of Judges. Here's how it goes, and I have highlighted the four different phases, and we'll talk about them. <clears throat> it says this, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. Before the anger of, or therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan, king of Mesopotamia. The people of Israel served Cushan eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up for them a deliverer who saved them. His name was Othiel, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan into his hand. 
and his hand prevailed over Cushan. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel died. What you see here uh, is this four-phased progression that is, again, on repeat throughout the book of Judges. Let me just go through this for you. Here's how it works. The first thing that happens is that the people do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. They do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, or in other words, they do what is right in their own eyes. They don't do what's right in God's eyes, they do what's right in their own eyes, which is evil in God's sight. So then God allows judgment to come upon them for their disobedience, and that comes from a foreign military power in the book of Judges. After being oppressed, the people say, this isn't good, so they cry out to God. You could say they repent. They, they say, God, we need you. And then God raises up a judge who is a military-type ruler, and that military ruler goes to battle and defeats the enemies, and then the people have rest and peace, usually for 40 years, which is a biblical way of saying for a generation. And then it happens again over and over. I don't know about you, but when I think about the book of Judges, I I grew up in the church. I grew up reading children's Bible stories, going to Sunday school. When I think of the book of Judges, I have in my mind uh, this version of the book as being sort of of fun, these epic, uh, you know, battle narratives. And so I have these stories of like Ehud, the left-handed judge, and, and Gideon, and Samson. But if you read it, really? It's actually very dark, depressing what, what's going on. This is a dark phase in the nation of Israel. And this cycle that I showed you on repeat, it goes on for a few hundred years. There's variance in how long. It's somewhere probably between 250 and 400 years that's covered in this book of Judges. From the time of Joshua to the time that they get a king. Just think about that just over and over again oppression, peace, oppression, peace, over and over and over again. There are many problems that are facing this nation of Israel as they are in crisis. They're dealing with a lot of different stuff, but today I'd like to boil it down to basically the basics by looking at the root problem and the solution to this problem. Now, what is the problem? When we start talking about the problems, you know, a lot of people want to make comparisons between what Israel was dealing with and what we deal with here in America currently. Now, while the, the, there are many, many differences there, sometimes in the generalities it actually makes sense. And that's why I started my sermon by listing all of these issues that we deal with in our nation. I'll just tell you again. Societal unrest, pandemic, racism, gender inequality, immigration issues, economic turmoil, unfair taxes, media bias, political divisiveness, war. If I gave you the floor, you would tell me all the things that you think are also issues that we are dealing with in our nation. Are these things problems? Absolutely. But not any one of them are the root of the problem. You solve one, you still got the other ones to deal with. So what is the root of the problem. I, I believe the root of a pro- the problem in any nation that is in crisis is that the people do what is right in their own eyes. This phrase is repeated in the book of Judges. They did what was right in their own eyes. They did what was right in their own eyes. This, this phrase shows up in the book of Judges, and it's the root of the problem 
of all problems. It's the root of the sin of all sins. Self-justification, self-fulfillment is the root cause of all sin. When you turn away from God's good order, God's good ways, and you do what you think is right, the way that you think it's right, when you want it, how you want it, <laughs> the American dream, if you could say, right? When you do all of that solely focus on what you want, when you want it, how you want it, in disregard of God's will, that's the sin of Adam and Eve. It's the root of all sin, doing what is right in your own eyes. I could point you to many places in the Bible where this leads to incredible problems, but the book of Proverbs uh, gives a couple of examples very clearly saying this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Or Proverbs 26 says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. You could sit and look at these for a while, but just think about it for a minute. I believe all the other issues that we deal with in our nation and that the nation of Israel was dealing with, whether it be the moral degradation or the societal decline, all of those are simply the result of this problem. People doing what is right in their own eyes. So what is the solution? Well, the people of Israel uh, have the right idea. When they are oppressed and judgment comes upon them, what do they do? They cry out to God. They repent, you could say. Repentance literally means to turn. If your eyes are over here, repentance means taking your eyes from here and putting them over here to turn around. So they turn from what's right in their own eyes to do what is right in the eyes of God and ask God to come and deliver them. This is key for us as well. Repentance is key. For us who live constantly in sin, we have to be people of repentance who come to God turning away from our own self-interest and turning to God and saying, God, please forgive me. I beg you to have mercy on me. God, set my eyes straight on the race that you have set before me. Keep my eyes fixed on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. I want to hear your word in your ways. I desire to obey your word. And when that is our desire, when that is our desire, I believe that our vision of the issues that we face in this world will be changed. And we will not see any of those as obstacles or as the root cause, but we see those as opportunities to live as the people of God, just demonstrating the grace and love and forgiveness of Jesus in all of them. The world has and will always struggle with this problem doing what is right in our own eyes, so long as there is sin until Christ returns. But we thank God, in, in the Christian church, here is our reality. We thank God that God has delivered us. He sent the greatest judge that the world has ever known. And the judge that has delivered us was not a military warrior, but a sacrificial savior. 
He did not pick up a sword, but he spoke his word. He did not lead an army into battle, but he laid down his life. His name is Jesus. Jesus came into this world to deliver you up out of the hand of your greatest enemies of sin, death, and the devil. And Jesus did it by dying, but even more than that, he did it by rising from the dead. Jesus Christ right now rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father, and we believe that he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. And when Christ comes again, we believe in the resurrection from the dead and the life of the world to come. Jesus is our deliverer. He is the judge who defeated death, and he will come again to make all things right. Today, in our church and churches maybe around the world, we commemorate a, a church day called All Saints Day. Technically, All Saints Day always falls on November 1st, uh, but a lot of times we commemorate it on this Sunday following. It's why we wear white stoles today. On All Saints Day, we remember with thanksgiving our dear departed brothers and sisters in Christ who have died in the faith. Now, there's a little bit of confusion sometimes when we say the word saint. Now, our church, uh, Saints Peter and Paul, we have that word saint right in our name, and sometimes people are confused what that means because different church bodies uh, mean different things by saints. In our tradition, in the Lutheran church, a saint is someone who dies believing in Jesus Christ. They don't become a saint because of what they have done, but because of what Jesus has done on their behalf. And so on All Saints Day, it's not us commemorating the holiest of people, but thanking them for living as faithful people and leaving a lasting legacy as witnesses of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.1 says this, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Those people who have died in the faith before us, they are witnesses. Witnesses of Jesus, eyewitnesses of Jesus and his love. See, in their lives, they saw and heard and experienced firsthand the grace of God in Jesus Christ. They experienced the love of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And they told us about it. That is why we are here today as the Christian church. Because other faithful people passed on the faith to us. They saw, they experienced, they witnessed with their eyes who Jesus is. And what is a witness called to do? A witness is called to testify, to testify, to testify. And that is why we give thanks, because they have testified their faith to us. Now, you and I, we too have seen the work of Jesus with our very own eyes. You are an eyewitness of Jesus. And you might say, no, I've never seen Jesus yeah, you have. 
Yeah, you have. Those of you who have been baptized have been baptized into his name, in the water, united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. Today at this service, you will taste and see that the Lord is good, literally ingesting and digesting the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your body. You have already heard the words of forgiveness spoken to you when you confess. You're living it out as believers in the faith and You've put the grace of God into work when you've extended a hand of forgiveness to your spouse. You've had a little taste of heaven when you worked hard reconciling a broken relationship and what was damaged and seemed lost is now repaired and you have joy in that relationship. Once again, it's a taste of what heaven will be. You have been an eyewitness of what only Jesus can do. And as an eyewitness, you have been called to testify in court. Which court? The court of the world. In front of all the people. And if you've ever witnessed a crime and you've been called to court and you said, I, I'm not ready, I'm not trained, I'm not equipped to give a testimony of what, I, what the crime I saw, they say, tell us what you saw. Just tell us. Just tell them. Tell the world what you've seen, what you've heard. You don't have to be an expert in theological matters. Just speak what you have experienced in Jesus Christ. You've been called to testify. So I just ask you, what are you going to testify about? What, what thing that you've seen are you going to spend your time telling the world? Are you going to testify just about what your eyes desire what is right in your own eyes? Are you going to spend time just talking about what it is that you want? Are you going to spend your time telling your children and your peers, be whatever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, believe whatever you want to believe, just, just go ahead and enjoy the world? Is that what you're going to teach the next generation? Because if you do, the world will teach them something totally different. The devil has a different message and it is swallowing up the next generation. Now, it's not that you can't tell people, go and pursue your dreams. Absolutely, you can't go pursue your dreams. Do it. But you will not have any clarity about what your dreams mean unless your dreams are in line with the dream of God and the will of God and the word of God active in your life without clarity of who God is and who we are in his sight, our dreams mean nothing. Now, children will not learn this on their own. The world will give a different message. They need a generation to testify to them of what we have seen and heard in Jesus Christ. It only takes one generation to fall away from God. We see it in the book of Judges, one generation. But it also only takes one generation to set things right. What kind of generation are we raising? Sociologists in America say that the generation that is in high school, early college age right now, it's the most unchurched, most unchristian generation that this nation has ever seen. It just is. I don't tell you that to depress you. I tell you that to tell you that you have some work to do. We do. We have some work to do. Again, it takes one generation to fall, but it only takes one to change. 
This next generation can be the one that can change it all. And we are the ones who have been called to testify to them of the love and truth and hope and beauty of Jesus Christ, to live the love of Jesus with them, to be a great cloud of witnesses around them, not just when we die, but right now. So what are you going to spend your time testifying to your children, to your peers, to this world about what's right in your own eyes or what God's Word says? Jesus is what the world needs. Jesus is what we need. I believe Jesus is actually what the world wants. It just doesn't know it yet. Because Jesus is light in the darkness. Jesus is hope in despair. Jesus is peace in trauma. Jesus is life. You've seen it. You've tasted it. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us testify to what we've seen. Let us raise up a generation of God-fearing children. It starts now and it involves every one of us to testify intentionally of what we have seen and heard and received in Jesus Christ. If you want to see any change occur in this nation or in the next generation, it begins here with us collectively repenting of our own sin, turning to God, turning to Jesus, heeding His voice, and then testifying to the world what you have seen and received in the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.